Please hold for Armchair Adventurer. That's not the kind of podcast we are. The mailbox is full and cannot accept any messages at this time. Goodbye. So this is going to be an interesting one because this is almost topicless. And we're really kind of going, uh, we're, we're leaning on the trick half of trick or treat, I'd say. Yeah. For, uh, I'd <laughs> for say this so. draft. Because we're doing, it's like, it's, it's a draft, but there's also going to be probably a little bit more discussion about each individual pick than we do on previous drafts to kind of make it more of like an episode slash draft hybrid. Mm. And the topic is greatest pranks slash hoaxes throughout it. I guess history it seems like probably most of ours are in at least the 20th century, but I've definitely got one older. I don't know if you guys do. Yeah, I have one that's older, but the other two or the other three are in the 20th. Yeah, okay. and most of mine are actually newer, but I do have an older one too. Okay, but before we get into that, I do have something that I want to talk about because it is uh, fresh on my mind. And it's something I stumbled upon the other night that uh, I could not believe what I was seeing. I, I was absolutely stunned, not only what I was seeing, but that nobody has been talking about this. I found a few posts on Reddit, and there's been a comment in each of the posts I saw that mirrored that sentiment. People saying, how is nobody talking about this? Mm. Because it's not like, uh, it's not even the kind of thing where there's somebody we could punish for, for what I'm going to talk about, but it's just interesting to see. There's a disclaimer that I have beforehand because I want to say that this will border on the kind of topic that you might hear somebody who's really into QAnon talk about, <laughs> and I just want to say for myself and all of the other members of this podcast that none of us buy into the QAnon thing it just so happens that the radical right has co-opted uh, pedophilia. So, to, you know, it's, it's hard to <laughs> lampoon them for that because it's a very noble cause. It's like, it's like it's how hard to QAnon started using that phrase, like, save the kids or save the children. Yeah. And this nonprofit who has been doing stuff, like, regarding malnourishment or something like that was like oh come on <laughs> yeah it's it's kind of genius because it it puts them like above reproach basically and um it's hard to now uh talk about something that's in that field without looking like a nut job <laughs> but i'm gonna try my best <laughs> to to look like a nut job or not look no like <laughs> <laughs> the opposite okay but um let's see i've been thinking about where to where to start this because I've done it two different ways. I've told two other people about this. And we're going to start with a group called the Finders. And this is a group that's been around since the 60s. They're allegedly not around anymore, who's to say? But they are it's a group that has so, uh, somewhat deep ties to the CIA. But they're basically a cult of personality, or they were, around a guy named Marion Petty. And he was uh, an advisor, a political advisor and strategist, and his wife actually worked for the CIA. And they ended up starting this group. And it was supposed to be like a lifestyle development group. Oh, my God. 
And so what they would do is Marion, the head, he would go by the game caller. That's what he had people in this group call him. And he would put the people in the cult, however he recruited them. He was a very charismatic dude, as they often are, you know, cult leaders. Mm -hmm. Uh, He would recruit people, and then he would put them in situations where, in his mind, they would grow as people. But it'd be, like, insane things. He'd, you know, it'd be like, he'd go up to somebody and say, like, you have 48 hours to fly to Tokyo, do as much research as you can on these companies, and bring that information back to me. Or, like, you have to go right now and climb this mountain. Those kind of things, where it's just like, you, you never know what's coming. And they have um, some weird other ties to the CIA that I'm not going to get into too much, because obviously all of those things are denied by the CIA, and once you're in a he said, she said with the Central Intelligence Agency, it gets a little <laughs> tedious. But they do have things that would indicate they have insider information or access, and it, at the very least, the State Department because they were traveling to, like, Russia and even North Korea oh. in the 60s and 70s, which was not easy to do, I'm right. sure you can imagine. <laughs> the, the first time where they got kind of linked to, like, what, what are these guys up to was in, I believe, in Tallahassee. Two men were pulled over. They had with them six children in ages from two to seven, all dirty, all disheveled, all hungry, and they said they were part of the group called the Finders, that their parents were aware of the whereabouts of the children, and that they were being weaned off of their mothers, and being taken to a school for gifted children in Mexico. Um, so, you know... This is the way. Yeah. yeah the shady. Uh, Tallahassee police know that these guys are from D.C., and they call D.C. and say, hey, we've got this, uh, we've got some people here they say they're part of the Finders. And the D.C. Metro are like, well, that's weird. We've been looking at those guys, too. <laughs> Eventually, you know, charges uh, were dropped because, again, mothers were cool with it. Because uh, the whole families are in this, in this group. Dudes were just let go with the kids. Um, the Finders got up to all sorts of other stuff. In fact, for some period of time, they had completely taken over the city of Culpeper, Virginia. They just, like, took over the city government. So this was, like, a live-in community cult? It wasn't just, like, a sort membership? Of. What's interesting is there's not that much information about them oh. online. Um, and I think Marion Petty died in the 70s, maybe 80s, and officially the group died with him, but... Maybe not, because that was kind of where the story stood until 11 months ago. We're going to have to kind of jump a little bit, because this is going to bridge together two things that were previously completely unrelated. So we're going to jump a little bit before I finish up the finders. Have either of you heard of the McMartin preschool trial? No. So this was kind of a, this was at the very beginning of the satanic panic thing. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. Um, Paul said no, though. Oh, no, Paul said no? I don't no? know what that is. That was just like mass hysteria in the late 80s, early 90s, where everybody was getting really freaked out about Satanism and like mm-hmm. thinking that kids were uh, 
get all into that rock and roll, like, huh? Yeah, like Marilyn Manson, you know, like that kind of stuff. And yep, um, hate to see it. <laughs> so this McMartin preschool was the first of these things that got kind of sucked up into the satanic panic, and it started with this this one mother who was who said her child said that he was being molested by uh, an official at the school and eventually some other kids came forward but there's an asterisk on that because eventually it came out that the police were like when that first thing happened the police sent a letter to everybody else every other parent and was like this man is being accused of uh, molesting a child please come forward if your child has also been molested by this man oh, you know boy. so it's like already pretty bad you know yeah. um there did end up being some proof that the prosecution was like they wouldn't let the kids leave interrogation rooms until they said they got molested stuff like that um it was a pretty gruesome some abu show tactics trial. on children yeah like to see it. <laughs> yeah it was some, some to this day <laughs> to this day it is the longest and most expensive criminal uh, court case in u.s history what whoa it took seven years and 15 million dollars oh because this what? was just it just kept hitting walls and it was kind of a show trial just being dragged through the mud god but get this <clears throat> even though it did come out that you know like the prosecution was doing these dodgy things there's one thing that several children all said and they all said that they were br- not not all of the kids but several of them all said that they were brought into tunnels underneath the schools or underneath the school and that point kept getting brought up there's tunnels there's tunnels we got to find out about these tunnels and eventually um the city because this was in a suburb of los angeles i think so they ended up just buying the preschool and demolishing it and digging it up to see if there were tunnels, probably where part of the $15 million came from, you know. Um, And the police carried out the thing, and they were like, yeah, sorry, we dug it up. We used ground-penetrating radar. We could not find any evidence of any tunnels. And that was where that stayed until 11 months ago. No way. Because um, the FBI got enough Freedom of Information Act requests about the finders because – the interest in the finders kind of picked back up when the whole Pizzagate thing and now the QAnon stuff. Uh, yeah, was that that Pizzagate thing is what you were talking about before, where the in the background you can see the cops kind of like shuffling kids or whatever out of this house. No, that was different. That was in Milwaukee. Yeah, that was a weird. I, was, I forgot about that to be honest. I was just gonna write that down to bring up later because you told us that one. I didn't know if that was related. I never even checked back up on that one. I don't know if what the resolution of that whole situation ended up being. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, we'll table that one for now. <laughs> right, yeah. The FBI got enough Freedom of Information Act requests about the finders that they finally released everything they have about the finders. They released three PDFs. And just for kicks, I'll include this. Because this is, this is the, the proof. And this is on the FBI.gov website. They released three PDFs. The first of which has two pages in it and it is the only two pages that do not directly or indirectly reference the finders so i don't know if they were included on accident or what but pages 48 and 49 of the first pdf 
are a map of and a page detailing the tunnels that the FBI found underneath the McMartin Preschool. Okay. And there's some very weird stuff. Mm. Let me blow this up. Because first off, it was already decided in the official court case that there were no tunnels at all. You should share but this your is, screen. Okay. This is a... Um, so you see the map here? Yep. Yep. So, you know, of course, this is photo scanned in, so it's pretty bad. Awful. But I'll, um, you can see right here, there's the seven-foot tunnel entrance hidden from a street by garage. Yep. There's this garage that's blocking it. And then this report goes on to detail that there's a nine-foot-wide, 45-foot-long tunnel that ran from classroom four to classroom three. And inside of this tunnel, they found a uh, Disney bag, copyright 1982, four and a half feet below the classroom floor. Uh, the tunnels continue, turn, connect to other classrooms. Um, a nine-foot-wide chamber was found along the tunnel under classroom four. They think that might have been a room that they, the kids were talking about that they got brought to. They were, I guess the FBI was kind of rushed in this and wasn't able to finish. Uh, let's see, some other significant facts. They did find a small white plastic plate with three pentagrams hand-drawn on it. Uh, many other artifacts found. No doorknobs on classroom three, only a deadbolt lock. Oh. Each classroom had an on-and-off light switch labeled fire alarm. The system did not connect to the fire station, but was used as an alert inside the school only. And they found more than 2,000 artifacts underneath the school, uh, school including over 100 animal bones. <laughs> <clears throat> So, what do you make of this? Just this information. Go, go to the map. Yeah. Give, give us the dates, not the exact dates, but when are we talking? This, the late 80s that they... Early, the accusations were first made in 1983. What, do you know when the school was built? Probably the 60s, like every 60s. other school. Yeah. 66, I think. Mm. It's weird, man. I mean, uh, I'm not surprised that there is some sort of, like, underground chamber but i'm weirded out by the fact that it's just like a series of tunnels because i'm not i'm not surprised that there's some sort of underground chamber because it was the 60s right like duh like nuclear fallout shelter oh, i should i should add that report on the next page does indicate that they were hand dug from like there was evidence that suggests they were dug from inside the building down and out it was hand dug oh my god um yeah i find I this find so that. weird because like you mentioned like the school kids were would talk and mention tunnels, but how can that be the first time any of those kids talk about tunnels? Right. How do you not go home and be like, "Oh, we played in the right the tunnel today," you know? True. Well, I guess you well, know that's... the dog room, so they just label it certain things where. Sounds like it they... could just be part of the school. They well, they I... teach these kids. Yeah, it's like, yo, well, we're in the... we're not in the tunnel, we're in the dog room, and then they talk about the dog room parents like oh cool whatever three-year-old <laughs> no one you know they don't give a fuck so <laughs> i'm more, I'm more worried about point. satan than you little one yeah yeah and i don't really know how to reconcile it because like on one hand I it came out that like the prosecution was like leading children and like you know the police were doing the same like almost intimidating them so it's like like this why tips the scales completely in the other way yeah yeah exactly like well i don't you know i feel like this is obviously hindsight 2020 but like softball in a sense of like you hear these kids mention tunnels and stuff why do you need to keep them up for 12 hours answering to see if this guy touched them <laughs> and then i guess 
my next question is why, if this is an actual document that was true, that is included yep. in this thing, why cover it up? Was it like too many? Well, I guess too many people could be implicated, or they were worried about mass hysteria or something. I mean, it's not like that worked anyway. There was mass hysteria <sighs> for like a decade about this stuff, but <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. On this sort of stuff, I take a more like, uh, like I don't want to say pragmatic, but like cynical maybe point of view. Not cynical, because cynical would be like it was purposefully covered up. Yeah, that's I, like the CIA. Or I, I take it. the point of view of like it's work to publish, but it takes hardly any effort to just archive and classify. You know what I mean? Like keep classified. I also yeah. I wonder timeline-wise, too, of, like, if this kind of... They wanted to look into this more, but... And it's so weird, because, like, they would have... They you mentioned think... that there was there were no tunnels, but clearly there were. Versus, like, yeah. hey, there are tunnels. We, you know, this isn't leading towards that. This is leading towards something else and possibly a new case. But oh, you think maybe they were they kept it quiet to they just kind of like off tossed it out. It's like no, this doesn't apply. Yeah. We'll keep we'll keep investigating it because it's interesting, but not because yeah. it applies to the case. But even that True. seems weird. Why wouldn't they just say that? They wouldn't say they don't exist. Yeah. Unless they truly pentagrams, man. Talk about like talk about those pentagrams. Like unless they truly get freaked out, it's like we need to look into this, but no one can know because this could turn into something really crazy. Here's what I'll say about the pentagrams, though, because I like including that because it sounds juicy. <laughs> um, you know what a pentagram is? If you flip it upside down, that's the star, David. It's, it's just no, it's just a normal five pointed star, which I personally oh, drew a it's... lot when I was young. Yeah. So. You know, could just be yeah. a plate that had three stars on it, and they just picked it up the wrong way, and were like, <gasps> you know, <laughs> pentagrams. But oh, uh, that's true. But I, I also want to know. You said there were like a couple thousand artifacts down there. I want to. What know, are the artifacts? What? <laughs> what are the artifacts? Yeah, I want to see like a a list the holy grail. of them. Yeah. <laughs> but also, dude, the sticking point too is what you said about how like the tunnels were dug from inside the school. Yeah. When they're huge, 45 feet long, yeah. nine feet wide. Jesus. Well, the fire alarm. That the fire looks alarm like, weirds me out, dude. I'll that looks honest. like a fire alarm, but just signals upstairs. It's just an on-off light switch. Because that, that could just be the, somebody might find the tunnels alarm. You yeah, know? exactly. Like, <laughs> Or that something's going on down there. Yeah. And that whoever, Cover up screams. Whoever, Ooh, whoever's upstairs, <laughs> yeah. I want to know. Go back to the map. Yes, sir. Please. This and please, if this interests you at all, I will include the link in the episode description because this document, even the stuff not related to McMartin, the stuff about the finders is very weird. So, yeah, and for for if anybody's going to check that out, we're on page forty-eight, right? So forty-eight and forty-nine of the first PDF are uh, the map and the description of the tunnels. The description only mentioned the tunnels connecting to classrooms, right? It wasn't like and office or and closet or something i'm fairly sure yeah let me scan through it again it says um classroom four classroom four. what is that redacted part right there man 
Why is that redacted? Nine-foot-wide subterranean entrance found under West Hall of the Dog Room, parentheses, classroom for, uh, Jesus. Redacted classroom. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What the fuck? Um, that's what that's what's funny about the rest of this too about the rest of this document is there's like there's stuff that's redacted where it's just like come on man (laughs) (laughs) it's tantalizing yeah of course there's also ones where it's clear that like what's underneath it is just like central intelligence agency you know or something like that but oh where you can tell pretty obviously based on the context clues but um seven another seven foot tunnel extending into the triplex next door Children described entrance and exiting tunnel in triplex yard exactly where tunnel and exit were found. One 39 by 41 inch area under a hole cut in this neighbor's bathroom floor had been excavated and subsequently filled. So <laughs> Start, connect to the neighbor. Started, uh, started trying to get himself, get himself and his wife a, a bigger bathtub and found the tunnel <laughs> and was like, oh God, okay, oh. fill this in. What is that, a pentagram? <laughs> <laughs> Do I hear um, classrooms? Yeah, unfortunately, that's the end of that. But um, wow, that's cool, when I saw man. that, I was like, "What? <laughs> yeah, Are you crazy." I I always get wigged out. Okay, not I shouldn't say always wigged out, but it definitely also adds that um, the city had to, the city decided to and needed to like take extra steps to try and like uncover stuff that was clearly already known or understood by some sort of federal agency well here's another thing that you just made me think of it's crazy that also the excavation to find the tunnels could have just been to absolutely destroy any evidence of the tunnels you know yeah i was gonna (sighs) say buying the school is a weird move it is like why would why would like (laughs) to just buy up a building and destroy it yeah yeah, just why would the police like buy a building, or just, just go in and find you know just be like just to investigate? There's going to be access somewhere in here. Let's just find it, right? You know, yeah, that's exactly. a good point. Damn it! Hey, well, for all the shit that we have going on in the U.S., man, can you imagine living in a European country? Just like there's got to just be way more like underground organizations or like historical oh yeah underground yeah. organizations and even though it's not a perfect system we should also be thankful that there is something like the freedom of information act how about that where we man? can request yeah. these kind of documents you know that that makes me just i i want to d- make that into like a, a a lesson for my seniors just be like hey i bet none of you know this exists but like let's try it out <laughs> find something you want and let's submit an application <laughs> Yeah. As long as it's not redacted. Wow. Dude, that was cool, man. I'm glad you uh, walked us through that. God, it's eerie. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. And it's um, not like... Um, many such cases. There's a lot of these. Right. A lot of things like this. And it, and it unfolds sort of like on a local level, you know? Uh, it's, it's not like... Like you distanced this <laughs> whole thing from QAnon right away. Like stuff like QAnon, these sort of like... Or like the um, grassy knoll or whatever. Like those things, they're sort of like federal level things. They're just so... They're very grandiose. Like, yeah. Like everyone's in on it. The highest pay, the highest powerful yeah. people. Right. Like, it, But when it's local like that, it's more like... 
Well, that's almost the local thing is scary because like parents of these kids, like seeing this now is like Jesus. Like I sent my kids to that school. Mm-hmm. That was going like what else is you know? I think it just drives you almost crazy to find out more. What at Hence some the panic. point? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. At some point, it's like you know there is no more, unless mm-hmm. they're truly hiding. Unless they're hiding more. Yeah, and I know I'm kind of charging the windmills here, but. This is another uh, <laughs> another uh, mark on the page for my mortal enemy, the CIA. <laughs> Someday I will take down. <clears throat> Which, if you're listening, he doesn't mean it. That was a joke? <laughs> that was just a joke. But also, someday there will be an offshoot to this podcast where Kane just but yeah. takes half also, an hour every week and... Also, if you're listening, please subscribe and give us a like on our Instagram. CIA, please. Yeah, <laughs> true. Hit. Give us that CIA bump. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> better, um, better than a well, Katy Perry bump. Do we move on to the draft? Yeah, dude, I'm ready. I'm so pumped. Okay. Let's do it. Yeah, let's see how this goes because this could be a new way of doing it if we like it. Not every the, time, but... Yeah. The fact of the matter is, we're going to have to figure something out, because, <laughs> I mean, like, we, we we are not now, but I can, in my binoculars, see a point where we run out of things to talk about, you know? So we got to find ways to adapt. Oh, you, you mean in are you the talking to- course topics of the or? podcast? Yes. Yeah. Topics to cover. I thought you meant yes. on this episode, and no, I was no, no, like, no, oh, no. no, sir, I have a lot of <laughs> He's stuff. He's going to Greg um, this one. <laughs> Sorry, Greg. Seventh page. <laughs> I can't believe that son of a bitch showed up with even more pages after we com- after there was the the whole issue of like the three pages or whatever. He came back with. Yeah, seven. when he made a point, he made a point about it too. He was like, well, I've got four. So this was in the earlier part of my lifetime, but I definitely remember it going down. And I think it was 2005. I'm almost positive. It was the only one where the date was iffy. But this is, of course, the. Jeez, hold on. Sorry. <laughs> Let's make sure we know what we're talking about here. Just to reiterate, we're doing pranks and hoaxes. Oh yeah. Greatest. Yes. Um. I was initially worried about this topic. I'll be honest, Dan. I was not expecting to so easily find things to talk about. Oh yeah, this turned out um, better than I could imagine. Yeah. But uh, so my number four pick is the finger in the Wendy's chili. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Do you guys remember this one? No. No. Never? Okay. Uh, so this was a woman named Anna Ayala, and she was went to the police because she found the fingertip, uh, fingertip in her chili at Wendy's. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> kind of, you know, I think she, I think she won a settlement because, uh, believe it or not, it was a hoax, and uh, she ended up getting charged with grand larceny. So there must have, there must have like been a wow. settlement. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah, it turned out the finger belonged to an associate of her husband. It was and, a uh, real finger? It was a real human finger, <laughs> yeah. And uh, she just brought it with her to Wendy's and put it in the chili to try to sue him and get money. <laughs> um, the whole incident cost, Wendy's says it cost them $21 million in revenue as a result <laughs> oh, yeah. of oh, this God. whole thing. Um, yeah, and eventually she ended up going to jail for, uh, she was sentenced to 10, served four, I think. Wow. Um, Paul. Okay. 
So mine, uh, my first one, like I said, kind of lower on the list, happened July 26, 2011. And the title of this one is Internet Explorer Users Are Dumb. Oh, <laughs> yes, they are, first uh, off. Yes, they are. Um, so ding, ding. Um, what the news started reporting was that this company called Aptiquant Psychometric Consulting Company. One more time. Oh, it's tough. Aptiquant yeah. <laughs> Psychomet Psychometric Consulting Company. Okay. That's fake. Oh, exactly. Um, that they released a study <laughs> revealing that Internet Explorers scored lower on an IQ test than users of other web browsers and therefore are dumb. Yeah. <laughs> and remind you that several news agencies were reporting as this is news and true. <laughs> However, obviously, <laughs> came out to be that these people, one, the company doesn't exist. And that this uh, hoax, the person who made it, which his name is Taryn Deep Gill. That a also kid. sounds like a hoax. That also sounds like, yeah, <laughs> probably, probably a fake name too. Um, a Canadian web developer who basically just said he wanted to create awareness about the incompatibilities of Internet Explorer 6. <laughs> nice. IE6 was pretty bad. It was, I mean, with the whole Internet Explorer family, it was bad. And they tried, to, they tried to fool us by change the name but uh, microsoft edge is that yeah yeah it yeah. is a different it's a totally different browser but it's still like why do they even bother trying anymore it's pretty cl it's pretty clear <laughs> who the who makes internet browsers yes there's just two of them now you know so my first pick is titled that time the author of gulliver gulliver's travels destroyed an astrologer's career by faking his death Wow. So. I love it. Astrology should not be a career. Yeah, well, so I, I do not care that this, this man's though. job was ruined. So in February 1708, uh, an almanac went on sale in London titled Predictions for the Year 1708 by Isaac Bickerstaff. The almanac sort of made a bunch of predictions for the year 1708. Uh, and it became sort of the first step in one of the greatest April Fool's pranks ever. W one of the events predicted in uh, Bickerstaff's almanac was the death by a raging fever of a famous astrologer <laughs> named John Partridge. And Bickerstaff said that Partridge would die at exactly 11 p.m. on March 29th of that year. So people were shocked, but also amused, and they were just kind of waiting around till the end of March to see how it goes. And, but this Partridge guy was like, <laughs> absolutely not. So he issued a reply. He like published in some newspapers, and he said, Bickerstaff is a fraud. Quote, his whole design is nothing but deceit the end of March will plainly show the cheat. Now, so, so things were in motion, right? People were just waiting till the end of March. So on the night of March 29th, Bickerstaff, the original prankster, issued an elegantly printed black-framed eulogy announcing that Partridge, Partridge had died. 
Bickerstaff said that he had gone to see Partridge as he lay dying in his bed and that his last words, the astrologer admitted to being a fraud. (laughs) (laughs) That Partridge had only written his predictions in order to earn enough money to support his wife. Now, on March 30th uh, and 31st, or some, somewhere around there, a couple days later, an anonymously penned pamphlet was circulated titled The Accomplishment of the First of Mr. Bickerstaff's Predictions. So basically, Bickerstaff printed anonymously some other article saying, wow, that guy Bickerstaff who made those predictions. This guy's a legend. He's a legend. He's wow. getting it all right. I cannot because believe Because Partridge guy. died. <laughs> So Partridge obviously was still alive. So he's walking around town on April 1st and people are like, oh, my God, you look just like this guy I know. But he (laughs) but he died. (laughs) So Partridge was really pissed off and he published a pamphlet uh, in which he insisted that he was still alive and that Bickerstaff was a fraud. And Bickerstaff coolly responded by arguing that Partridge was obviously dead since no living man could have written the rubbish that had appeared in his last almanac. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Just keeps stomping on this dude. Um, Bickerstaff also noted that Partridge's own wife had admitted that her husband had neither life nor soul. (laughs) And so... It turns out that Isaac Bickerstaff was actually a pseudonym for Jonathan Swift, who was the author of Gulliver's Travels. Swift's intention had been to embarrass and discredit Partridge, apparently because he was annoyed by the astrologer's attack upon the church. And Swift declared that Partridge would die by a raging fever, since Partridge himself had predicted that a fever epidemic would sweep through London in early April of that year. So he was like, well, let me just use this and try to kill off Partridge's career. Swift's hoax succeeded in discrediting Partridge as an astrologer and eventually forced him to stop publishing his almanac altogether. That's fantastic. Right? 1708, man. There is a certain poetic beauty to an astrologer getting taken down by pure lies. Oh, yeah. Sorry if that offends any enterprising young witches that listen. Yeah, well, we don't (laughs) want your ears, so get out. Yeah, your pointed ears. Get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Okay, so me again? Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. This one is a little more recent in memory, so uh, we might remember this one. Oh, Dan, you said this is the one you remembered. Um, Talking about Balloon Boy. (laughs) Uh, Paul, do you remember this one? This was in 2009. It doesn't ring a bell, but go ahead. So this was October 15th of 2009, and this is about the Heen family of Colorado uh, in Denver, I believe. So the father of the Heen family was a UFO enthusiast and uh, kind of a weird dude all around, and he was constructing a large mylar or similar material, like some silver material, a large balloon that I guess he said he was going to advertise to commuters as like a possible method of transport. He set this large <laughs> balloon and uh, it took off and it was not supposed to. So he calls the police and uh, he says, uh, my balloon took off and I think my son's in it. Cause my other son said he saw the kid crawling around. This balloon's gone. I can't find my son. 
police don't believe him. So he calls the FAA and then the Sheriff's Department. And they believe him. So uh, they send out a police helicopter to try to, you know, like follow it. They don't, so they're like following the balloon, but they don't really know what to do. Uh, some people call in and um, give suggestions on how to fix the situation. And one of them I really loved was somebody suggested flying above the balloon and pouring honey on top of it to, to, <laughs> weigh, to weigh it down. down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so the balloon lands and no kid is inside. So then the police think he fell out and it, it becomes uh, like they start to call it a recovery mission, which is usually a terminology used to, you know, they're finding it. They're looking for a corpse. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, eventually the son just comes out of the attic in the house. And uh, I should add this kid, this kid that was allegedly in the balloon, his name is Falcon. Falcon. Oh, Heaney. Yes. Wow. And so, of course. Then they're like, "Oh my God, he was hiding in the attic the whole time. We were so scared, we didn't know." And uh, so they go on Wolf Blitzer for an interview, and Wolf Wolf asks the kid why he hid for so long, and the kid is like nervous, and then the dad repeats the question to him, and the kid is like, "You said we were doing this for a show," and so people are starting to be like, "Hmm, what is that? What is that? What does that mean?" And uh, a few days later, the family's on Good Morning America, and the host asks uh, the father what the kid meant when he said, we were doing this for a show, and um, the son vomits. <laughs> <laughs> and it eventually came out that they staged the whole incident to try to score a reality television show. Because, uh, and I didn't know this until I was doing the reading on it earlier, this family before this happened, was on the show Wife Swap. And they were like... Oh, yeah. They were like a fan favorite because of how weird they were. And like, they ended up coming back for a return episode because people were like, this guy, these people are weird. <laughs> and they were like a fan favorite that was voted on. And they were trying to score another acting gig, so they staged that oh whole thing. Oh, my God. That's amazing. So... Yeah. This kid just Dude. vomited on live national television? Yes. Oh, on no. his dad, I think. I think he vomited on his dad. <laughs> no. Um, dad ended up getting charged with uh, a $36,000 fine mm-hmm. and had to serve some time in jail. And his wife also had to serve in it's called weekend jail. So, I mean, does that mean you just go to jail on the weekends? Part-time jail? Yeah. <laughs> Is yes. it like house arrest or something? It's like the National Guard, kind of. Yeah. Tell Chris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ouch. So, uh, wait, him. who gets that money? The county. Yeah. Oh. Dude, that's incredible. I didn't know that all of that, like, post-media stuff had happened. I thought it was just, like, an immediate, oh, they did. They said they did it for a show. They said they're I, sorry. I thought that was the case, too, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> The puking on live TV is crazy. That just, sucks for that Can you kid. imagine being so nervous and just... <laughs> on <Yeah>. TV. <laughs> also, like, how old is he? Like, grade school? Yeah. Yeah, dude, he's never going to live that down. Yeah. Yeah, no. His name's also Falcon. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, you're that Falcon kid on TV. Yeah. Oh, no. Falcon. All right, what do you got, Paul? Okay, so... No, Paul. Yes. Go ahead, Paul. Um, I've got a Wisconsin-themed one for you boys. Woo-woo. So this one is called the Wisconsin Concrete Deer Hoax. <laughs> so 
This happened in uh-huh. 20, 2015. Um, okay. And basically, sounds familiar. You might have heard this one. I don't remember this one, actually, but I believe it. I believe a lot of people would freak out about this, too, just knowing people in Wisconsin. But, <laughs> Know me, knowing um, some Wisconsinites yourself. Yes, a few here and there. Um, so <laughs> a lot of people, um, and it didn't really say where or if it was everyone in Wisconsin, but a lot of people got a letter from the DNR, which is the Department of Natural Resources, basically saying for immediate release, um, subject import message from Wisconsin DNR, please act now. And it reads, to the citizens of Wisconsin, please remove any concrete deer ornaments from your lawn by November 1st, 2015. The Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources will be conducting a statewide deer count, and some yard (laughs) ornaments may have been counted over the past two years by mistake. Thank you for your cooperation. Uh, Signed by the Secretary of the DNR. Wow. So... uh, (laughs) Can you imagine getting this letter and be like, like, like screaming to your husband, like, we got to remove our deer in the front yard. We don't <laughs> want to piss the off the DNR again. Yeah. Dude, oh, my God. <laughs> As if they're out there really like counting deer. Like, <laughs> All right, everybody, <laughs> like, link I th- arms. I think we got that one earlier, but it, it just looks. <laughs> yeah. Um, and. And then uh, later in the the article, it really highlights it. And I think the DNR probably actually reached out to this like hoax website, dispelling the hoax because some people are trying to say that it was real, and the DNR made it very clear that this is a fake letter and to do not think that the DNR wants you to remove your ornament. I'm also surprised at how how many concrete deer ornaments there must be. Yeah. Oh, so many. <laughs> huh. Oh, the, uh, it's it's so, yeah, there's a lot. It's an epidemic. It's wow. an epi- epidemic. Yep. It's like uh like stars and like Texas flags in Texas. Like uh, every every house every house got it. Yeah. Everybody's, <laughs> Everybody's got, got, a, got a couple of lawn deer. bucks. Look at yeah, yeah a couple <laughs> of lawn bucks. Lawn bucks. <laughs> oh man, that was good. Um I I'm up, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. This one is titled The Time a Rhino Was Elected to Sao Paulo City Council. <laughs> 1959. Here is an article out of Life magazine. Uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil had an election for the city council last week, and quite a few of its 3.5 million citizens were in the mood for a serious protest vote. Suburban yeah. sewage or suburban sewers were in bad shape, prices were high, and there was a serious shortage of meat and beans. There was no shortage, however, <laughs> of candidates. Five hundred and forty of them were running for forty five council seats. Whoa. Quote Better elect a rhinoceros, somebody said, than an ass. And so they did. <laughs> <laughs> a pleasant, lazy female rhino named Kakariko had been borrowed from the zoo in Rio de Janeiro to help open the new Sao Paulo, Brazil. Her name is Portuguese for rubbish, which recalls her somewhat formless formless appearance when she was born. But now she was four years old, confident-looking, fat, and a popular attraction. She was so well-known, in fact, that the papers here in Rio started a campaign to get her back 
from her temporary home in Sao Paulo. She, just as she was getting ready to leave Sao Paulo, somebody there got the bright idea that the rhino might be a good vote-getter. Stacks of printed ballots suddenly appeared with Kakariko's name on them. Kakariko's slogans cropped up on Sao Paulo walls. The zoo director in Rio, who knows Kakariko well, volunteered an honest political opinion. Quote, She's an ugly beast. Very stupid. You could put her brain in a, ba- uh, in a Brazil nut. This was precisely the point that the citizens of Sao Paulo wished to make. She still- Sounds like my wife. <laughs> Sorry. Kakariko, I barely know her. Uh, (laughs) So, um, the rhinoceros's name was written on, was written in on some 100,000 ballots, which was enough to swamp 11 opposition parties. It was a stunning victory for Kakariko. The lady rhino's closest runner-up, a man, got a total of 10,079 votes. Another defeated human candidate, infuriated and humiliated that he had been beaten at the polls by an animal, shot and killed himself. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) The election board, here's where it turns sour. The election board quickly disqualified the rhinoceros as a bona fide office holder and then tossed out her votes. She would never take the seat to which she was elected. Nonetheless, the local politicians she defeated took their loss with bad grace. Some blamed the animal vote on, quote, sinister forces and hidden interests. Brazil's serious-minded office holders from President such-and-such on down were well aware that the rhino's victory was not just a joke. A lot of voters had registered a protest against the humans who were running their affairs, and they would probably be heard from again, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So in 1959, 100,000 people elected a rhinoceros to the Sao Paulo City Council. Incredible. And then a man shot himself because of it. Yep. <clears throat> wow. Brazil is a wild place. A little yeah. extreme. <laughs> but hey, maybe not a bad idea come November 4th. <laughs> Just saying. Or whatever day it is. Whatever that Tuesday is. It's Tuesday, right? Yeah. Third. Yeah. No, it's, third. it's Wednesday, November 4th. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Glad you knew. <laughs> if I just never checked in again and showed up on the wrong day at the polling location. Hello? Uh, so my next one, my third, is a name. The name is the Patterson-Gimlin film. And while you may not know the name, I know you know the film. In fact, we've seen Paul recreate this film. What? I have a picture on my phone of Paul. Oh. It, the the Patterson yep. Gimlin film is the Bigfoot about. film where there's the like, <laughs> mid stride sideways glancing <laughs> Bigfoot picture that everybody's seen. <clears throat> yeah, sorry, I'm reenacting. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so Paul, you need I to might, be blurrier. I, I I might post that on the Instagram just because I find that yeah. photo hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Um, now, what I found interesting about this, Bigfoot's probably not real, you know. I'm going to say that first and foremost, but um, I was not expecting there is actually quite a bit of disagreement over the film. And there are actually a lot of people who think that it is not fake, you know, not just nut jobs. Like, but I historically, basically this was shot in 1967 
in Del Norte County, California, near Bluff Creek. The exact spot that it was filmed was lost for a few decades, but then it was found again uh, just because of like foliage changes. But the interesting thing about it is it was shot at 18 frames per second. Now, normally, especially for television, things were shot at 24 frames per second. But the camera that Patterson was using had a variable speed where you, it was like 6, 12, 24, 32, but they weren't click stops. You could just like freely go anywhere in between. Weird. So it's, they don't know if he thought 18 was a setting and said that, or if it was like he meant to do 16 and was actually a little off or what, but he says he, he didn't notice until afterwards. And the thing is, it being filmed at that speed makes it kind of interesting, like kinesthetically, if it was shot, you know, if you put it up to 24 frames, um, the ape would be moving faster than like a human could move with that stride, oh. basically. Mm. Now, to counter that would be that most zoologists think that the behavior exhibited and the way he was moving is pretty unlike primates, like um, primates that would presumably be more primate than we are, you know. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that was the buttocks was not wide and like open enough. I don't know what, the, <laughs> what that means, but you know there was uh, some things like that. But then the flip side of that even is that um, anybody who was anybody in special effects at the time, because this was the '60s, said that that was like way too good of a. There were master special effects artists who were like, I would never be able to create something that realistic. Wow. Uh, especially hmm. at the time. <clears throat> so, you know, of course, we're never going to find out uh, if that, anything else about that film, because um, for one, the guy who filmed it was dead. Um, and his buddy Gimlin doesn't really talk about it. So, mm. <laughs> who's to say? <laughs> but it is interesting. I was not expecting there to be even like a shred of evidence in favor of it, basically. Yeah, that's actually a so. lot. Uh, Paul, what do you think? Damn. Definitely posting the photo. Yeah. That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> a little treat for y'all. Um, moving on to my third. So this falls under more of a prank than a hoax, I'd say. Um, and this is park rules and other fake signs so <laughs> this guy named uh jeff wazaski yes wazaski his hobby is putting up fake signs at various locations such as stores museums or in the street <laughs> like parks and stuff man after our own hearts yes um just a fool of people to get them to think that they are real legitimate signs post <laughs> these places um I'm going to read you some of these rules that he puts on these signs um, that I don't know how they get people, <laughs> if, if at all. Um, so park rules. Number one, no littering. Okay, pretty believable. Alcohol prohibited. Okay. Standard so far, yeah. Dogs must be on leash. All right. Yeah. Believable. Here's where he gets lost. Dogs must be clothed. <laughs> Dogs okay. must be Catholic. I want no <laughs> Protestant dogs in there. Uh, and then bold face, all caps, 
No alpacas. <laughs> I repeat, no alpacas. <laughs> um, also, all caps, beware of coyotes. They have skateboards and can do sick tricks. Trust me, they will steal your girlfriend. I have seen it happen. <laughs> That's what it said? Yes. Holy paragraph. <laughs> Whole paragraph. Where is um, this? Uh, just some park. He put it up at a park. Um, oh, my God. Continues, uh, no hunting man for sport. <laughs> um, no loud music unless it's Tupac. <laughs> <laughs> no impromptu group dance-offs. Damn. Uh, absolutely no human sacrifices before 8 p.m. Uh, after that, you're oh. good to go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, no motorized vehicles except ATVs. Those things are tight. <laughs> yeah they are <laughs> um, note this is wild rabbit territory if you see a rabbit please report it immediately so I can rush over and pet it um, enter at your own risk park not responsible for injury theft accidents or your failed marriage jeez so um, this guy's a real jokester yeah so please follow all the rules of the park So, so he does like other signs too Yes, there's other ones like at stores. Like, um, like an example he did was um, he replaced the like kind of price tag like labeling of a kid trampoline and labeled it as a seven foot kid jail <laughs> because it's got like the like netting around netting, it. Yeah. Um, and then another like uh, if you know those styrofoam like coolers. Yeah. Um, the uh, there's a little sign underneath that says "in store review" and it says "love it holds like 80 snakes." <laughs> that's a for some reason that seems like a Greg joke to me. Yes, I think that's right up Greg's alley. Did I can, so. can you imagine how sick of his shit like people in that town are? Oh yeah. If, if he's oh, concentrated, Greg. if he doesn't like spread it out. Yeah, and he's not quiet about it either because like the snake one, like it says dash jeff w like oh, it's like this one dude named jeff is just fucking oh, everyone jeff. wow speaking of snakes my next next pick is the time the bbc reported on a bountiful spaghetti harvest in switzerland <laughs> 1957 so this is the exact article from the bbc well no this is a follow-up article because they got like a lot of complaints. Uh, they, basically, the BBC made this joke. They they reported during one of their news programs that like, oh, the spaghetti harvest this year out of Switzerland is looking good. You know, something like that. And they got like a lot of people calling in and writing in saying like, you know, how dare you tarnish the integrity of the, your news program and all that. But they also got a ton of people writing in saying like, oh, like, how do I grow spaghetti in my yard? You know. So here's here's some of the, the article from 1957, the follow up. The BBC has received a mixed reaction to a spoof documentary broadcast this evening about spaghetti crops in Switzerland. The hoax panorama program narrated by distinguished broadcaster Richard Dimbleby featured a family from Ticino in Switzerland carrying out their annual spaghetti harvest. And there's, like, actually, like, I have two pictures 
or I have a picture from the broadcast of a woman literally pulling strands of cooked spaghetti out of branches. Like they really took uh. this, they took this to the next level. Um, but some viewers failed to see the funny side of the broadcast and criticized the BBC for airing the item on what is supposed to be a serious factual program. Others, however, were so intrigued they wanted to find out where they could purchase their very own spaghetti bush. Spaghetti is not a widely eaten food in the UK and is considered by many as an exotic delicacy. Mr. Dimbleby explained how each year the end of March is a very anxious time for spaghetti harvesters all over Europe as severe frost can impair the flavor of the spaghetti. He also explained how each strand of spaghetti always grows to the same length thanks to years of hard work by generations of growers. This is believed to be one of the first times the medium of television has been used to stage an April Fool's Day hoax. And that'll probably Man. be one of the images on Instagram is... Uh, spaghetti bush? The spaghetti bush, yeah. Yeah. This is a little something called the Voynich Manuscript. It could be Voynich, but uh, we're going to go with Voynich. Okay. And this starts in 1912. A gentleman named Wilfred Voynich, who is a book collector, found this book tucked away in the library of Villa Mondragone. And uh, the book struck him as odd, and I will get into why, but included with the book was a letter written by one Johannes Marcus Marcy to a gentleman named Athanasius Kircher. And the letter is dated to either 1665 or 1666. It was a little hard to tell. They look pretty similar. Uh, and the letter claims that the book was once owned by Emperor Rudolf II, who was a Holy Roman Emperor. Uh, and he, the Holy Roman Emperor, believed that it was written by a monk named Roger Bacon in the 13th century. Now, what is interesting about this book and it will certainly be a picture, uh, picture on the Instagram post, is that the book is written entirely in an unknown language. It is a language that nobody has ever seen before, nor knows how to translate. Uh, and the book was, the letter, the letter is basically saying that the book was sent to this Athanasius Kircher in the hopes that he would be able to translate it. Um, no dice. There are a lot of theories about its origin. Uh, some people thought it was an elixir of life recipe. Uh, perhaps an account of a civil war written in an ancient vowelless version of Ukrainian. Oh my God! Like it's not or perhaps a trans. Oh. Yeah, um, <laughs> or perhaps a transliteration of a scripted language into an alphabet. But it's basically like a manuscript that I think it shows a lot of like biological stuff, uh, like plants, uh, you know, like uh, cross sections of plants, stuff like that. And the reason I'm including it in this is because more modern theories about it uh, kind of think it's a hoax. The, there, although a computer scientist named Gordon Rugg has <laughs> argued that a 16th century hoaxer could have created the jury. And I should say, uh, they think it's a hoax, but not, there is no question in uh, how old it is. They just think it's a hoax that was very oh, wow. old. You know? uh, <laughs> the so original. It's not like a new book, yeah. yeah. Uh, he could have created gibberish text using an encryption tool known as a Cardin Grill. Uh, he argues that the book was created by 16th century Englishman Edward Kelly in order to con Emperor Rudolph II. <laughs> um, and another uh, fellow by the name of Sergio Torricella. 
has suggested that the manuscript might be a what they call an alchemical herbal, which was a book of nonsense writing that doctors would use to impress uh, people they were treating to make it seem like they were really like well-read and <clears throat> learned in all sorts of oh things. Oh my god! Just to make them look cooler. <laughs> but uh, let me see if. Share my screen. This whole thing really takes it to the next level. So many people are implicated by this. Also, can you imagine being the scribe that had to like make copies of this? You have to like not only get the writing yeah. down, but you have to do all those drawings. Like, oh god. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so True. many illustrations. Uh, not that you guys would have any sort of particular insight on this, but uh, what do you think about it? <laughs> oh my god. It's probably probably a hoax, right? Probably Unless, just. Or crazy person with yeah, way too much time in their hand fantastical creation of somebody who had too much time on their hands yeah but then yeah. it's just absolutely snowballed yeah right like yeah, so. s somebody else picked it up and was like oh, i can use this or s s somebody <laughs> got duped and they were like i, I want to use this ah, to my, my you know yeah. yeah like put it in a museum make some money s suddenly there's you know a hundred doctors around the land who are all like just pulling the wool over people's eyes. Yeah. Part of me hopes that it's like, oh, yeah, we could translate that. Just someone comes out of nowhere. It's like, yeah, it says this. And then it's like, holy cow, you're right. <laughs> yeah. That applies. <laughs> this works. And then it's truly like, I don't know, cure for cancer or something weird. You, you mean it wasn't on the Rosetta Stone? Yeah, <laughs> correct. I wish. Not the free version anyways. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Paul. Okay. Last one. My final one. So, in July July 18 of 1938, a man earns a nickname. <laughs> so, on this day, Douglas Corrigan landed at Bodono Aerodrome. I'm sorry, is this Wrong Way Corrigan? It is. Are you familiar? It's a Bezer Wizard question. Oh, oh is God. it? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I cannot fucking believe this, dude. <laughs> uh, I love that. Jesus. Uh, Go ahead. I know the story. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I will sit back with my arms crossed. <laughs> See if it matches yeah. up to the clue in Bezzer Wizard. <laughs> yeah, I want to hear what the clue is. Um, so, Douglas Corrigan lands at... Uh, I, I just suck at names. Bahadinal? Uh, aerodrome in Ireland <laughs> after a solo 28-hour flight across the Atlantic. Um, prior to that, the FAA had denied him permission for the flight because of the poor condition of his plane. Key phrasing there. Uh, but Corrigan claimed that he had intended... So, he gets that word, that letter back from the FAA saying he can't go. So, he basically changed his mind saying, oh, well, I claim that I intended to fly from California or to California from Long Island but accidentally went the wrong way because of a broken compass. <laughs> Love it. So Love this guy. Proving that the FAA is right, I guess, but achieving what he wanted to achieve. Oh my god. Um so uh yes, and that explains how he got his name called uh wrong way Corrigan. And to this day, obviously he's yeah. very much well passed, but sorry for never, ruining that for you. Uh, yeah, he uh, never admitted um, <laughs> that he did it on purpose. Oh my god! 
What a legend. What year was that? 1930-something? 1938. That's perfect, because my next and last pick also occurred in 1938. Interesting. I'm very curious of what the Bezer Wizard, like, question is. I'll find it right (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right, so my last pick, and I do, I have an honorable mention, because it literally, I was just pranked during the recording of this episode. Damn. Yeah. All right, so my last pick is that time Orson Welles scared the pants off of a million people. Yep. (laughs) That's a good one. Here's the story. Um, In 1938, Orson Welles was only 23 years old, and he was running this company called the Mercury Theater Company, and they decided to do a radio show. And what they did was they adapted this science fiction novel called The War of the Worlds for to be performed, basically, to be read on the radio. Now, the, the thing with this hoax is it was not planned to be a hoax. It was accidentally, like, it accidentally ruined the, the weekends of, like, a million people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, really badly ruined. <laughs> so on Sunday, October 30th, at 8 p.m., uh, they they started this uh, this adaptation of the War of the Worlds. Now, for those of you who don't know, the War of the War the War of the Worlds is um, basically a story about an alien invasion of Earth. So remember, they start this at 8 p.m. and a voice comes on and says it was on CBS radio. The voice comes on and says. The Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations present Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the air in War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells, right? So it gives like a big intro. Now, it was a Sunday night, so it was like prime time, especially for radio, like all the major programs broadcast on Sunday night. Um, The thing was on NBC radio there was this really popular program with this ventriloquist that also started at eight. So like a bunch of people, like millions of people started on NBC. But what happened was at around eight twelve or eight thirteen, the ventriloquist was done with his program and it, it transitioned into like a not. So it was like some singer who was just not that popular so literally millions of people switched from NBC radio to CBS radio in tw- like 12 minutes into a broadcast of the invasion of the planet by aliens. So <laughs> yeah. what they had missed by joining 12 minutes late is Orson Welles saying, hey, everybody, we're, we're going to do this cool thing where we adapt a play or a, a, a novel into a radio performance. <clears throat> so they miss this whole explanation. So these people, these people join in and they start hearing this, um, uh, weather report, which is part of the, the adapted broadcast. They start hearing this weather report, which is then interrupted by news of explosions on Mars. And then we go back to the weather report. And then like a couple minutes later, it's interrupted again by, an asteroid landing in New Jersey. And then they go back to like regular broadcasting, quote unquote, regular broadcasting. And then it transitions back to a reporter who's on scene 
seeing an alien crawl out of the asteroid and start killing people. And so this like hour or half hour long story of the ale of aliens invading earth to, to people who joined the program late, they, many of them did not understand that it was fake, that it was a total science fiction story. And in, you know, the weeks and months and even years following this incident, um, we have pretty much confidently, uh, figured out that about 1 million people truly thought the earth was being invaded by aliens. Um, some people told stories of jumping in their car with suitcases and leaving town. So, you know, like there were like, there was like looting, like it was like, it, it, there was hysteria in, in several parts of the country because of this. Well, if Orson Welles <clears throat> ever had any doubts about how good of a storyteller he was, that probably ended that right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can listen to the recording too. It's pretty cool. And it, there, there's a recording online too, or probably several, but there's at least one recording of it online where it tells you, it like interjects when the NBC programming lost all of those viewers and that people would have been oh, joining. Yeah. And it's crazy because it's like after all of these disclaimers that like this is science fiction, this is a story, this is not real. And then it's like, OK, let's do it. And then a minute later, it's like at this point and, you know, 10 million NBC view like listeners switched over to CBS. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Um, I remember my grandma telling like about that oh, man. and basically just hearing like people like days after talking about it and like like yeah i went out and like i i killed all my cows because <laughs> i thought we were all gonna die from aliens like they were like getting ready to like just be yeah. wiped out that they were just like burning crops so that aliens couldn't use them like just crazy stuff God. Yeah. Do, you, do you guys want to hear this honorable mention i got absolutely bamboozled Okay. So as we began recording the episode, Chelsea went out and she got some Burger King. And uh, mm -hmm. cause she, we, we ordered some burritos earlier and hers came back with a bunch of real cheese in it. And she's allergic. So that was a no-go. So she had to come up with a backup plan. So she went to get some BK and she comes back, you know, probably 45 minutes to an hour ago at this point. And she... I see her out of the corner of my eyes. She holds this up, and it's it's clearly a cookie bag from Burger King, yeah. right? So she's like, hey, you know, she's signaling to me. She's like, hey, I got you some cookies. And she comes over, and she lays it on the ground. So I, while I think one, one of you were talking, I opened up my text app on the computer, and I texted her. I was like, oh, my God, I love you so much. Thanks for the cookies, you know, kissy face or whatever. Uh, kill me and then <laughs> about one minute later i pick up the bag and it's fucking empty yeah that's what you get for being a simp <laughs> okay to a t yeah yeah so then i text her back and i said oh okay i take back everything <laughs> yeah i don't love you no it's over <laughs> but then she just... she brought me another one she she looked like she really felt bad so she brought me if one. she got you with the double empty though oh my oh. god dude oh. I would have, oh, oh my god heartbreaking <laughs> that would have been terrible Jeez. she'll be listening to this about five or six days so she'll 
not a prank or a hoax, but as an honorable mention, I can tell you something that happened to me at work yesterday. That was kind of weird. Uh, <clears throat> I was in the um, bathroom stall at work. I was sitting on the toilet. Sorry. Yeah, swirly. And um, <laughs> yeah. the boy came in, dunked yeah. his head. My my bully, my work bully came in, <laughs> my head in the toilet. Um, no, uh, I was just minding my business, and an unattended Labrador retriever <laughs> comes straight in and comes under the door of the stall and just comes into the bathroom stall with me. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. His owner eventually came in, did not to seem the, to care to the stall? stall with me. Yeah, he's just like... Uh, is he in there with you? <laughs> I just laughed. You know? like, no way. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, that's I'd awesome. be mortified. I'd be like, oh, so sorry. No, I thought it was hilarious. I was, you know, it's, it's dog what a pooch. Brain, <laughs> yeah. So uh, my honorable mention, I just want to bring it up for y'all's sake. Because um, originally we were going to do actual pranks was I wanted to remind you guys and one of mine would have been if you guys remember the prank we did to you Kane. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Of yes, moving all of the things in your room to the living room and kitchen. This was not a half-assed no, endeavor, dude. Oh, oh it they took like actually removed hours. everything from my room that could be like moved. Like 200 yeah. pounds of furniture. Yeah, they pulled everything. it all out. The things that were like in there when we first moved in that are just like to the room. Everything. Yeah, like a very yeah. top-heavy wardrobe still got it out oh, there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's kind of unbelievable, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> you got it. In, in retaliation, though. I stole Paul's car. <laughs> so. it, yeah, yeah, I had the, car. that failure, failure of outlooking ahead of <laughs> I trusted you with my key to my car. Yeah. So I just remember hiding in my room out of fear that Kane would just beat the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah, but... Because... <laughs> Because you were angry. You were banging. Of course I was. You were, I thought you were going to kick in my door. You were hitting it so hard. It was It was the combination of perhaps the most egregious evasion of privacy. And then uh, also the expectation that I had to move all that stuff back in. Because it seemed like you guys didn't really want to move stuff back in. No. Now, did you did you announce what you were doing, or were we just I locked said, in our rooms and we just heard you like no, leave? I think I, you I think I me. said, oh, I th yeah, I thought I said, oh, I called you. Okay, I think you called me saying like, hey, or you texted me or something. Like, I've got your car. You know, <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk this over. Yeah. <laughs> God, <laughs> you drove it to that like back parking lot where they do like yeah, I hit it, bus. and I was like, I'll tell you where it is if you move that stuff back in. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, I had no idea. Yeah. God. Oh. That was amazing and also terrifying. Yeah, real I mean, really the biggest prank so. of all time is us somehow continuously pulling one over on our listeners, <laughs> making them think that we are a good podcast and they know we sucks, are. man. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a great for nobody. Um <laughs> They no skin off my back. Uh, I like making it. Um, now, unless we truncate the schedule a little bit, I think there's only one more that'll be in October. So maybe we should do like a pretty normal return to form episode for the next one. Try to find something or some things uh, that could fit the theme. And then we'll uh, move forward with Operation Lazarus. <laughs> I don't know what that is either, but uh, you know what I mean. The switch to form. 
Um, any final thoughts before the the song kicks in? I'm excited to hear the song. <laughs> yeah, me too. What's the moral of the story? Uh, I know, I know I've let you down. Get love and pride.